0: Half time. the first the first sentence that I said like if you have fear of failure you will not succeed you must have the guts to fail to succeed
1: subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back neon night edition available now
2: it's so unexpected It's one of those you had to be there moment You had to be there It subsequently genuinely did change
1: everything about my life You had to be there It is the latest episode of you had to be there And I'm delighted to welcome for this one Keith Ward, Keith good morning
2: Good morning Shane How are you, hi Adrian, long, long time Keith. no see Long time no
1: see <laughs> Romance is back um, Keith, this is a, this is a difficult slot for a lot of our guests because they have to sit down and rack their brains and leave some some things out, some performances that they saw in person uh, out that they perhaps feel a little bit uh, bad uh, bad because of. So has this been a tough enough process for you to, to narrow it down to five?
0: No, it hasn't because i uh, I just took it as an opportunity to reminisce on times past and um it's kind of nice to think of things that you haven't thought about for a while and I also stuck to rugby um I didn't try and um go through some of the other sporting uh, events that I'd been to, and we could do that some other time if we needed to if we needed to fill a half an hour but um no i I had a bit of a giggle with it, and I kind of used it to. Uh, think of some of my favorite players and to think think of certain things that were that kind of stuck out for their difference as opposed to being the best performance of a, of a, of a player for, for a whole match though I do have a bit of that in there as well mm. there were kind of moments in time too that seemed to just strike a chord with me so I kind of shot from the hip with them when I was chatting to, to Colm yesterday just to see which ones we'd go and it, so no thoughts got into this
1: mm. Will you, will you, know you, strike me, you strike me as someone who'd have a, a fairly intriguing non-rugby uh, you had to be there as well maybe some Clare uh, goodness thrown in there so we'll, we'll maybe not spoil that one because we, we, we should do of, that
0: a bit of Claire goodness of course um, there's also a little bit of I just heard the plug for the F1 uh, podcast there's a little bit of that oh lovely
1: entertaining. But,
2: um, oh you've got his interest now Keith yeah, 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 yeah. We, were only, we were only trucking along before you said that That's, uh,
1: <laughs> we'll talk yeah. about that for half an hour um, you're starting. So we'll maybe go in uh, in order of uh, the earliest first. So this is a performance from uh, Harlequins Flanker, uh, the great French flanker as well, Laurent Caban that you've picked.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's worth kind of remembering um, some of the stuff for Laurent. Laurent had had been in a car crash uh, when he was younger. Had spent a period of time in a wheelchair. Six foot two six foot three uh flanker for France when everybody was was getting huge and big uh he was maybe thirteen and a half stone uh huge scars down his arm and his leg from from the crash um actually I remember uh, after about six weeks he got man of the match in five of the of the first six matches he was truly extraordinary uh for Quinn's. And Dick Best, our coach at the time, said, Listen, Naran, you're you're too thin, too skinny, you really need to be doing weights. And uh Caban, in the middle of the meeting with the cigarette, uh said, Well, I I don't do the weights. So he said, Well you have to do weights now. So he trained and did weights for the week. And having been man of the match for, for five of the first six, he just walked around the field on the uh, on the seventh game and uh bestie after the game, said, Caban, what the hell are you doing? He said, I told you, I don't do the weights. (laughs) He took another drag from his bag. I mentioned two other guys in in this list, but uh, one of the top three rugby players I ever played with, I just, he had an ability to make the sort of um, time go slow and uh, his ability to do different things. He was always wherever the ball was, you know, he was fit, but in that sort of French way of doing things. But we we played a game against Arl, who were pretty much gone at this stage. They got um, they got relegated down all the all the lists soon after, and we beat them, I think, by sixty odd points.
1: Yeah, 89, that, 89 points to eighteen, I think this was. Eighty nine points
0: percent. to eighteen. There you go. And um, that's a kind of frightening score when you think of. <laughs> And um, now we had, I think we had eight international or nine international captains in that team that we had at Quinns. Yet he was the guy who seemed to stand out for me always. Um, But he ran, I can't explain this properly and that's not great for radio, but we'll give it a go. (laughs) Um, in, In around the halfway, he ran, he was accelerating towards a pass and he then stepped away before he got the pass. But he accelerated his hands towards the ball as he was going in the opposite direction. And it looked so wrong and everybody stopped. And I was standing behind him and I stopped and he jogged in from the halfway to score. with Like he didn't sprint in, nothing. It was just absolutely time free. It was just a moment in time for that one player. He had three or four others the same day. He had won against Bourguin in a European Cup match where he picked the ball up from behind his back uh and passed it around his his stomach as you do kind of <laughs> messing to score a try and again everybody kind of got out of his way but it was just one of those rare things where you're standing and you're looking at somebody and they're saying oh my god he's truly incredible and then of course you also realize you, you don't have that skill you can't do that thing you know and it's a a kind of um, half upsetting and half exhilarating uh, element to see it, but one of the absolute great guys, great players, um, and someone I haven't seen for a while, actually. So I need to from Saint-Chan um, in, in the Pyrenees, but uh, a class, class player.
2: You weren't long um, out of Garyown, Keith. You were still probably in your formative years at that point, if I'm right, twenty three, twenty four. Uh, and I know you've said that, like looking at that piece of skill, you're not saying, "Oh, cool, I can do that." <laughs> but at the same time, like you're describing a lot of play that you would have become known for um, across your career in terms of that loose play. Is is a too stretch, too far stretch to say that you were you were inspired by that, or that it played a part in some of your play down the track?
0: Um, I Look, at the, the, when I joined Quinn's, I joined in sort of February, March, 96. Uh, I trained for three months on my own with a fitness guy. Um, I was recuperating from surgery, from a, a very large surgery. But When we started training, it was the first time that um, you were training full-time. The game was professional, and Dick Best had been an assistant Lions coach, Andy Keast became the technical skills advisor for the Lions in '97, um, and you pretty much would like to rebuild how to play rugby. And um, technical skills, best he had in uh, in in spades. He was he was pretty phenomenal at it. Um, Andy Keast was the first real time for pure. Video analysis uh, for me. Um, we went through every Monday for an hour and a half. We had a scrap for an hour and a half. Um, uh, he said, "I want you to do this," and I said, "No, you have to justify why you want me to do it." Like, and I was fighting my corner, and I was equally trying to remember how to play and to learn new ways of playing. And then you're playing with with guys. Will Carling was in the centre. Um, David Pears, who got a couple of caps for England at out half, was injury-prone, beleaguered player. was phenomenal, and but some of the skill levels of some of the players were just were, were fantastic. And watching what Caban would do without even thinking about—I mean, I played against him in a game of squash. I know it's totally irrelevant. I played against him in a game of squash. I was a crap squash player, but every time he hit the ball, it just seemed to roll down the wall. He seemed to be able to keep everything. He could do anything, whatever he kind of wanted to do it, and he did it all in the most relaxed manner.
1: One of those annoying people that's just good at everything they put their put their hand to. Yeah, It I was extraordinary, truly extraordinary. It, that, that, we had that image up on screen there of, of Lauren Caban in that famous, iconic Quinns jersey with the massive white collar. You've got the gum shield coming out of his mouth as well. He just oozes French It wasn't
2: so much a jersey as a curtain.
1: It's a curtain, it is, like. And it's got the colours as well, your your granny's curtain. But it's...
2: um, Yeah, those jerseys didn't shrink either.
0: Um, I mean, they, they could have been made into a quilt afterwards. And they were quilted. They were built in
1: squares, so... Oh. it's quite something yeah it's just there was obviously no science put behind the jerseys back then in terms of sweat technology uh, but yeah that's an amazing pick and even the fact as you say uh, Woody as well that he was in that car accident in 1990 goes on and even the following year plays in the World Cup in 91 plays again in the World Cup in 95 when, when France finished finished third so uh, an incredible career
0: a great career 45 tests I think I and um, I didn't look at the stats but that was something I had in my head maybe I'm making that up but he he um, he was also involved and one of the kind of joys for it, and I would recommend to, to to listeners, is to view the try from the other side of the world, which was in, was that 94, 95, where, where they started from behind their, uh, the goal line France against New Zealand. It is a truly, truly extraordinary um, try. He was in that, I think, a couple of times. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a joy to be able to play with that guy, I have to say.
1: Privilege and really got around just looking at the different clubs he played at as well. Seixion Paloise, Racing Club uh, as well, Western Province in South Africa, Harlequin as well. So uh, one of those players that just seemed to make an impact wherever he played.
0: He, rec- he part of his recuperation um, to go back to play international rugby was he played in the centre for Racing. That was part of his recuperation. I love that.
1: <laughs> nice relaxing uh, position. Yeah, just 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 sit in the centre there and recuperate. It He's just, yeah, it's an extraordinary, I think it's 49 caps for France, two tries scored from 87 to 97, according to the, the, the stats I have in front of me, and played five, uh, six times at the Five Nations as well, uh, between 91 and 96, uh, winning team, of course, in 1993. So, Laurent Caban, uh, brilliant career, and uh, that's the game we're, we're mentioning this morning, Harlequins against ARL in 1996. Your second pick then, Keith, uh, for going in order, was in 1999-2000, that season. Uh, this is Mick Galway captaincy of course from Munster against Saracens and the game in particular you've picked is the 35 points to 34 win in the Heineken Cup it's uh, November 1999 I think it is
0: 1999 um, and I wanted to pick this just for pure captaincy actually yeah. and um, we had uh, I think Munster were just beginning to change how they were viewing um, some of these games and these matches Um reminded of this fact. During the week I had a chat with Declan Kidney during the week um, and we were just kind of chatting through different things but uh, the attitude had started to change you're suddenly beginning to win some games um, but to be playing Saris in Tholmond, um, I don't know if this is entirely true and my memory could be failing me on it but I think after this match was the first time that stand up and fight was sung by Brian O'Brien in the changing room. Right, um, I, I believe that to be, to be the case. I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. Um, but we, it was a great game, like a really great game. Saris had a, had a cracking team and um, it, was, it was a huge part of the monster journey that was, that was required was to get these big wins against English teams and, um, and you're at home and you don't want to lose and everything's going well and we're, we're there at thereabouts, but it's so tight. Oh, and the game is tight all the way. And I make a stupid mistake. Um, I come out of the line to, to kind of smash somebody and the balls pass back inside, I think to Mark Mapletoft and they score under the post and it's, it's a stupid, it's a stupid try. It's a one out, out of fatigue. Um, and thinking that you can maybe have an impact and this is the opportunity rather than being fully coordinated. And it was at the sort of the start of the the big defensive line. So that's when we were making those mistakes all the time, really, if we're honest. Mm-hmm. But I remember jogging back behind the the post and I was, Jesus Christ, this is entirely my fault. And um there's three minutes to go in the game. And um, we've now gone um, six points behind. And uh, you know we're dead and buried pretty much. And Mick Galway, just I remember it it's clearly as if it was yesterday. He called everybody in and he said, "Right, forget about that. That's gone. Um, this is what's going to happen. Um, we're going to kick off. Uh, Roger's going to put is going to put the ball up into the air. We're going to catch it. Langford, you have to get the ball back." And we hold on to it until we get a penalty. Then we kick into touch. And we hold on to it until we get another penalty and we kick it to five meters out. And then we're going to score from the resulting maul. And it was as if it was, he'd seen it before, you know, and every single part of it, every single part of it happened. So there was maybe 30 or 40 things had to happen. And every single one of them happened. And as each one happened, as as we went up, we said Langford or maybe... um, it had been uh, Eddie Halvey, whichever one went up to get the ball. When that happened, a little bit more belief grew to what Golov had said was going to actually happen. So we got the ball. Raj kicked it into touch. We threw it into the line out. We won it. As in every step happened, you could just see the belief rising and rising and rising. Um, and we got down to five yards from the line and um, we had uh, – I can't remember where we threw the ball into the line-out, but anyway, from the ensuing one, we, we burrowed over for, for a try. And You burrowed over, back. didn't
1: you? What? You burrowed over.
0: I went over, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, Nick Walsh, who used to be my scrum half the previous year in Quinns, was now the scrum half, uh, sub-scrum half from, um, from Saris. And I saw him and... Um, I trained against him an awful lot and I knew that, uh, a meter from the line, I was very, I was good for that one meter anyway. So, um, and I went back and Raj had to kick the kick and he, as it turned out, he didn't have to kick the mm. kick, um, but he kicked it and it brushed in off the post and in and absolutely delirious um, scenes and part of that huge emotional uh, wave that seemed to start with Monster. So I can can remember that as as clearly as clear. I mean, it was, and for me, uh, and I always say this, that one of the things for Captaincy is that you you pick it up from other people and you pick up whatever piece that you, you want to have and you try and use whatever is appropriate at any moment in time. But for that time and in that moment in time, the clarity of, of thought for for Mick Galway was it was perfect, Damn. and it, for, in my mind it was it was under fatigue um, with the last couple of minutes of a game that was per- perfect captaincy.
2: You're underplaying your own role in that because you throw that ball to the line out. The, the half a mall sort of breaks down. Stringer goes in to try and get it. Uh, it's too subtle to see what's being said, but he makes an attempt to get it, mm. and then you go in in front of him, and he quickly scuttles out of there. So there might have been a few words while, uh, while that ball has been uh, fought for between yourself and your teammate, and then you take it and you, and you burrow over. Like I mean, you're you're you are the one dri- literally driving that entire thing.
0: You're told is the simple thing as well and for Stringer I didn't want Stringer anywhere near that because um, Stringer as a nine was the best passing nine and he never thought of anything else apart once in his career against Beeritz. and he, he didn't think to kick, he didn't think to run, he thought to pass, I didn't want him anywhere near, that ball was never going to the backs, that was only going to stay with the with the with the big lads in in on in, it. So no, that was all. That was just a go away. There was no strategy in that. Um a, a more polite idea. It wasn't, I'm not overstating uh, uh myself because mine is one part of it and it's only a small part of it. Um for me it was the captaincy of following what the captain said and um and having the clarity to say this is what we're going to do and we never deviated
2: from it. Do you um like you're so associated with Munster and your time there was so brief. Do you have any regrets about not spending more time at Munster?
0: Uh I don't really. I know that's kind of it's hard. I, I spent a fair bit of time there from ninety-two to ninety-five. Um so I was there in the amateur times, um, and obviously I played under twenty for Munster for, for a fair bit. I went to I went to Quinn's because the IRFU wouldn't give me a contract. It was a very simple thing. I had two contract offers in the UK, I didn't have any in Ireland. Um, uh, And I wanted to play professional rugby, and Quinn's gave me the start. And when I came back for that one year, it was one of those perfect confluence uh, of events where there was no relegation that one year. There was a World Cup year. Quinn's were trying to tidy up their finances they'd heard a rumor that I was thinking of going back. They said, we can facilitate the rumor if you promise to come back the following year. And it was a straight, simple thing like that. So I had a contract. I still had a pre-existing contract with Quinn's. And I went back to a contract. I never broke that contract with Quinn's. The contract stayed there. And so it wasn't uh, an opportunity to go back. I, I went back and I played two matches in prior to the World Cup in two thousand and three. And um uh, um Alan Gaffney was coach at the time and he did say when I retired, he said he was he was he said he was proud of me for retiring in a World Cup. Um he said, but he thinks it should have just been from international rugby. He thought I might have come back and played for a bit. But I my body was was pretty much on the brink at that stage. So no, I look. I it's funny. I, I really I, like. I love my time with Monster, and that year was extraordinary. And I learned so much. We talked about Caban earlier on, but I learned so much in that year. Quins had, as I described, eight or nine international captains, but the sense of team within Munster was far higher. Munster were a better team. They were a team of built up of players who played as a team. Quins was still very much an individual club at that stage, and. But I learned an awful that year back. I learned an awful lot, and I think I learned a lot when I went over to Quinns in in the first in the first period, and then laterally as well. Um, and that's all you're kind of thinking you're doing. You're just you're playing as it is. So for me, is it regret? I regret not winning the final in two thousand because I'd like to have won that final. Um, but I have to say, I got the, I got a lot of joy, and I didn't really care that much of the other teams either. <laughs> didn't even care that much. You know when you're going, you're playing for them. But after that, I think it re- reignited um, a joy I had for the province, and that was the first team I looked for after every result afterwards. So when I saw them winning, so losing in two thousand and two was very hard, but winning in two thousand six, two thousand and eight was extraordinary. And I was, you know, I went to the two thousand eight game, and it was it was magnificent. You know, and um, like I was long retired at that stage, so. Yeah, No, I, I don't know that I regret it, but um, I wish I'd won in 2000, that's for certain. Mm,
1: I should mention as well, that the, the scoreline I said at the start, 35-34, that was of course the away game against Saracens and you had your battles with them, with them that season. That was the away game in November, but we're talking about the the Thurman Park game, which was January uh, 8th, 2000, 31 points to 30. And as you say, Woody, like, the, the players in that Saracens team, and even that kick at the end, so uh, as you say, as it turned out, a one-point defeat would have been enough to top the pool regardless of what Saracen did in, Saracens did in their final game. But, I mean, I think Declan Kidney knew that on the sideline, but but Rona McGarris certainly wasn't aware of that.
0: No, and I think we're, there was a great innocence to that moment in time too, as to, you know, everybody knows the outcome of every game before <laughs> it happens at this stage. But we were kind of too busy just going to go and play it. I had a great chat with Francois Pinar lately. I can't remember whether Francois played that game. I think he did. But... um he said he doesn't have any good memories of coming over to Limerick. He, every time he came over, somebody treated him with a high level of disrespect in the field, so,
1: um, which I think he wears that badge well, too. 100%. And uh, it's just one of those great, you look at the uh, that monster team, um, incredible. Uh, the names on that list, even the young lads like O'Garran, Stringer, Horgan, Wallace, all 23 years or younger. And then you have, as you say, the veterans like like Galev and Claw. Uh, Axel Foley as well. I mean, it's just such a brilliant team, and and I think you were sixty six to one outsiders. I read somewhere to to win the Heineken Cup that year. I know that there was the final disappointment, but there's that story of yourself. I think it was and John Langford um, at the start of that season suggesting Munster should win every game in the in the season, and, and I think there might have been a few giggles or uh, players that maybe weren't on the same wavelength of thinking as yourselves.
0: Yeah, I think it was. I, mean, I only kind of mentioned this. I think because Raj said it in his book, or, or, one, or one of those things. But it was a, it was an unusual time. It was um, it was also a slightly kind of uh, don't say you're better than anybody else kind of mm. attitude. And it was one of those things that kind of needed to go. Um, like I would have always. Uh, I'd always talk back on that period of time. It was funny because you want to play and you want to win every game. Uh, That wasn't necessarily the attitude. Yes, you wanted to win, but you didn't want to talk about it. That needed to break, definitely. But I think when Langford came along, um, like Langford had played a few times for for Australia, um, but his attitude and attention to detail at training for a guy who – was tall. Was sort of six six or so. Um, very thin, very fit, um, very good in the line out, very good tackler, but didn't have a lot of the other skills. Um, so he wasn't a, a very good ball carrier. He wasn't that shape. Um, he wasn't very fast, even though he's incredibly fit. But his attention to detail for his job and his role was just so far beyond anybody else any of the rest of us it was just so far beyond anything that was a shock to an awful lot of players so when he said anything at that stage and this was a couple of weeks after training for the first time they'd already seen that wow this guy's on a different level and when he talked as well it just became very different
1: Mm. and those leadership skills you you picked up yourself when you later became captain as well lead us nicely into the the third pick because it's um, it's Brian O'Driscoll, and, and it's a f- reasonably famous game, I think. Ireland 27, France 25, this is the Six Nations in March of 2000. And, of course, the 21-year-old bud uh, with a hat-trick of tries and, and planting himself in Irish rugby history and, and really launching himself into the arena of, of world-renown, I guess, Keith. This was um, quite an incredible performance.
0: It was an incredible performance. Um, the last time Ireland had beaten France was... Um, um, was 1972, it was a couple of days after I was born, I think. And, um, so, um, it was 28, it had been 28 years since we'd won there. Um, two years previously, um, the papers had been writing about the fact that this was the first time a team was going to be beaten by 100 points in the Five Nations when we were going to, to, to France. We lost that game by two points. I think we lost the next game the year after in Dublin by a point. We'd been poor uh, against France for a long time. And uh, I remember that game very, very clearly that we it was the fastest opening, 20 minutes. Um, I can't remember the scores. I never remember those. I remember the emotions, actually. That's how I kind of think <laughs> of things. Okay. And maybe the level of tiredness and fatigue that was there. But after 20 minutes, I was bollocked. Mm-hmm. And I was st- running up to a line-out um, that had been kicked out by by France and and. Um, I was going to throw it in so I was jogging up to it and I was jogging up to it slowly and I turned around like they were a little bit in the lead but not not a huge amount and we'd never we'd never survived that level of play before that that pace that had always blown us away and I remember standing up picking up the ball and my back was to everybody all the time and I picked it up and I turned around to throw it into the lineup and the only people that were there were Irish forwards the French were all over the field lying on the ground um, they were wrecked as well, and and I remember saying it and pulling the guys in at the time and just saying, um, "Lads, we um, I think we have them, we have them here. I think we can." Uh, they're doubting themselves, you know, and and but that seems fantastic, and we win the game and. Um, we won the game because Brian Driscoll scored a hat trick of the most ludicrous standard of tries. Now there were good running lines by players and you know he didn't do it on his own, but it was the the coming of age of a young guy and I remember thinking on the field at the time, and I and I do remember it it was a real time feeling that actually we can do it because we had him there. Mm. And and I often said this, if you took away the three tries from Draco that day It was the best performance of any Irish rugby player ever anyway, notwithstanding the three tries, and he scores a hat-trick. And we win by two points. It isn't as if we we coasted to victory. It was horrible. It was a horrible day. It was uh, in terms of emotion, this this trying to get the monkey off your back, trying to have that, that element. It required the most extraordinary brilliance of a young player, and we still only won by two points. That that frightened me an awful lot. And the only upside for that is we backed it up the following year and we beat them the following
2: year as well. There was something wonderful that we had broken it and then we backed it up. Uh, people tend to reflect on that at this remove as sort of the arrival of Brian O'Driscoll. But he'd obviously played games before that. It was He'd played eight tests before it. Um, he'd only scored one try over that time against America in the World Cup. Um, he'd been playing for Leinster under Matt Williams, and it was just interesting to note your point there about if he hadn't scored the tries, it still would have been an unbelievable um, performance. Was it? Was it a standout? Was had you guys within the group started to talk about him or think about him that this might be in him, or was this a surprise to you?
0: No, I look. I remember the first time I saw him at a training session. Um, and I've said this before, but um, he turned up. He's kind of spotty kid with the the thickest pair of glasses I've ever seen and I and I thought he was um uh, Paddy O'Reilly Raleigh would often bring young fellas in to help him and I thought he was a young filler in to help Ralla I didn't know anything about him um I'd been living in the in the UK um um like it, the first time I think I saw him was in the summer of 99 maybe um and uh, I'd been in the UK and I I just, I hadn't heard anything about him. I didn't recognize anything until he trained and then he trained. As I mentioned, Langford beforehand. Langford trained that way because of a lifetime of experience. Um, Drico trained that way because he was a kid with a different standard and he, he was
1: extraordinary. I just can't get that image out of my head of him walking into the glasses and thinking he's helping out the uh, the kit man. That's like It sums up how young he must have looked and how fresh he must have looked coming into that team. Even that image, Keith, of the, the French player sprawled out, it's almost like you're, like you're describing a Caravaggio painting of just complete despair in the French ranks.
0: Well, I remember describing, uh, I was lying on the ground again um, when Draco scored the hat trick the third try. And... <laughs> I described it as the the punch that Ali never threw Um, (laughs) like it it was almost nobody could lay a hand on him and it was again it was operating differently there's people making a bit of an effort to tackle him but they're not even in the same postcode
1: Mm. Uh, as you said there were other good performances even I was watching back the first try there last night and Malo Malo Kelly has some beautiful skill, lo- lo- lovely little skip pass and involved in that and even yourself you drew in uh, Martel Masso who I think was your opposite number that day so that opening try was, was was brilliantly worked and even David Humphrey's performance as well he nailed the penalty from from 40 metres out to, to I guess clinch the game he had a couple of dodgy uh, drop goal attempts after that but it's amazing how there were other brilliant performances just completely overshadowed by, by what Brian did that day
0: Yeah I think so and you know um, if ever there's a guy that lived up to the hype, afterwards it was Trickle, and you know that was him launching on the world stage, and he then backed it up for another ten or twelve years
1: after it. Mm. Yeah, your your penultimate pick, uh, Keith, is Zinzan His last game, Harlequins versus Bath, two
0: thousand and one. This is a slightly alternative one. Um, Zinny joined Quinns at the very end of his career. He was he was past it. Um, he was, uh, not as fit as he had been a bit overweight. Um, he still was like, a, like a kid. He trained first out practicing every kick he could possibly do. And he was last in for every, every single training session. He was, he just, he loved, he loved the game. He loved the sport. He loved the competition. So it marked the end of him. I don't know if this was his last game, but it was one of his last games. We we're down in the wreck in Bath a place that we'd never won. Um, I don't think Quinns had won there for, I don't know if they'd ever won there, but they hadn't won there for 20 odd years anyway. Um, And with 25 minutes to go, Zinni was gone, right? He was just, he was knackered. There was, he would no no energy. Uh, He was walking around the field at this stage. And for some strange reason, um, Bath, we were on the 22, and Bath were on a huge. Uh, we we're defending on a huge drive, and so they did a, a switch pass to hit one of the centres to run a really, really good hard line. And Zinni hit him probably be a high tackle now, but across the chest at full tilt, um, but not like a, a heavy hit, falling into it, right? <laughs> and he absolutely caved the centre. And there was a rook went over it and they went across the field. They went over and back. And in that period of time, it took Zinni maybe 60 seconds to stand up again. And they did another switch and he'd only just got back onto his feet and they ran at him again. And he absolutely killed one of the flankers this time. And the third third play, another four uh, phases later, they did the exact same thing, and Zinni killed them again the third time. And we had that moved off that one step. It had taken him the whole time to get up to do it. And when everybody piled in over, the ball was spilt down. We were getting ready to go into the scrum, and I'm ready to hit the scrum. And I said, hang on, ref, just give me a second. I need to get my flanker because Zinni was playing wing forward that day. And Zinni crawled on his hands and knees five meters to get onto the side of the scrum. He couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't get up after the third tackle. And I remember thinking this was a guy who was known for the most flamboyant skill of all time. And, uh, he was taken off immediately after that. I mean, he couldn't walk after it and it was at the full end of his career, but he had huge highs in his career and he would have been known for his tackling, but he was known for his outrageous skill beforehand, but at that moment and in that time, he was the key component to, to take the wind out of bad sails. And we beat them for the first time in whatever it was, 20 years. And for me, I just think it was a joy that I got to play with someone like him. And I never saw him at his best. I did playing against him. Um, He was extraordinary. played against him a few times for Ireland. He was just, he was incredible, but, um, I do kind of cherish that fact that I got that chance to play
1: with some of those guys. I think we, we we picked your, or you picked your, your best fifteen. You played against, I think it was, and certainly Zinzan Brook was was uh, given the nod in that one. And it's just he strikes me as one of these people, Keith, like as you say, a, a real hard man on the pitch, but total gentleman off it.
0: Gentlemen, mad GA fan, played Gaelic football for eight or ten years down in Southern Hemisphere. He was great friends with the Macaulays, uh, his next door neighbours down in, in Auckland. To Marist, Marist, yeah, and they brought him. They brought him uh, to to play in the Gaelic football. They won a load of championship championships down there. Um, uh, just truly, truly extraordinary. Actually, um, if you look at any of the rugby that he played, some of the things that he did. Look at the highlight reel for him. It's mm. pretty amazing. Crazy.
2: I, I won a New Zealand Championship with Bernie McCahill at midfield, Keith. It's my, did you uh, really? My claim to fame, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I won the New Zealand Championship because Bernie McCahill was at midfield. <laughs> uh, well,
0: Bernie um, uh, was one of my coach, coaches in Quinns. Um, he was Shawnee. Shawnee, his brother, played with Munster and got one cap for, mm. for Ireland. Uh, Bernie was in that World Cup winning squad in 87 uh, as a very talented center. And we ended up having quite a Kiwi um, uh, element into Quinns at one stage. With John Gallagher, Kip Gallagher, um, famous for running fullback. Um, his actually father was from Limerick. Um, and uh, he was our director of rugby and Bernie was, was one of the coaches and Zinni was there at the same time. That's certainly one of the highlights of, of Adrian Barry's Hi, he's class, sporting He was a
2: class actor. Our initiation ceremony after joining the club was to go up to the clubhouse after your first match. Uh, if you'd made your debut that day, you would take your top off, as would Bernie, and in front of everybody that was there on that day, which would be a fairly healthy Irish community, he would lead you in the haka, And there was no, oh. uh, there was no messing around like it wasn't like a bit Seriously? of a jokey thing. It was. Get this done and follow as I do, and uh, and very much that the case on the pitch as well. Jesus, uh,
0: the hacker was never jokey for those guys. No.
2: I once I got Sinny to do the hacker in Mourns
0: and the Weir, um, uh, in Clarenbridge Bridge at one stage in the snug, which is quite intimidating because you, <laughs> no matter where you were, you couldn't be far far enough away from him.
1: Yeah, definitely intimidating for the people outside the snug who couldn't uh, see yeah. it, they could just hear it. Um, your, your final pick. Uh, Keith uh, is Eric Miller and Anthony Foley's performances, but it's your try against England in 2001. This is a a famous moment.
0: Yeah, I just I like it as a moment in time, and I like it for me. But and that's fine. But I I like it for the simplicity of elements of it. Um, that's 2001 uh, foot and mouth game, but it was. We'd used that line out about three years before. And what we'd started doing at that stage, we had about 250 line out moves and we, we tried to simplify it down. And we might use 10 or 15 for any particular game so that you could chop and change them from one game to the next so that opposition wouldn't have known exactly what you were doing. We practiced it that morning under the, under the stand and we practiced it once in the warm up and, um, it's a bloody good try, and it was. We hadn't beaten England since ninety four, and I was on the bench the, the last time we'd beaten them beforehand. And um, we wanted to keep it simple, and we thought this was a good chance and a good opportunity. We had a game plan that was targeting guys, some of the guys that we toured with with the Lions that summer. Um, the confidence was a little bit low. We wanted to make certain we could get it lower. We did whatever was possible. We said we'd do simple things for that. So simple for me was throwing to make Galway gets the second mention for this one. Hmm. Um, um, he passed it on to Anthony Foley. And uh, if I bypass Foley for a moment and talk about Eric Miller, Eric was standing too, too further back, I think. And Eric just put his hand in. He wasn't. It was it would have been considered a very subtle obstruction. <laughs> um, but he just manoeuvred himself into a position of where people had to go around him. And if you're going around somebody, you don't get there in time from a five metre uh, line out. Well, he held back Richard Hill, I think, as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he did. And holding back Richard Hill is never a bad thing because <laughs> Hilly, Hilly was Hilly was in that. Um, That best 15 as well, if I remember rightly. Mm. Um, Hilly was absolute class. Um, But it was Foley got the ball and it was the the way Foley passed the ball. it, It wasn't passed. It was left. It was just left in the air. Now that's so difficult to do when you're under pressure. So there was just, there was no weight on the ball. The ball just happened to be, it was just there and so you could run that way that way or that way you could run any direction you didn't have to deviate because the ball wasn't going anywhere it was just kind of floating or resting in the air it's a it's a perfect pass
1: yeah because i think no matter how many times you as you say you've practiced it that morning or whatever but like you don't break stride whatsoever it's the deftness and the delicateness the soft hands from from Axel like it literally couldn't have been a more perfect pass
0: well if i had, if i slow down i don't score yeah. That's the other thing. So if I have to deviate, I don't score. And um, so, no, it doesn't mean we don't score. We might rock it over and score then afterwards, but I don't score that directly. Um, it, the key to it is not having to adjust at
1: all. And it's just that ball floating in space with magic. Do you remember the moments immediately after the try because obviously the crowd are going absolutely berserk commentary team are losing it as well but it, it, can you take yourself back there at the speed of thought or is it just all a blur
0: um, no it's not it, for me it's it, there's uh, it's a joy it's the joy of scoring and it's i'm going to say it's not it's not selfish it's not of, of me scoring and I'm, and people might dispute that or not but it isn't it's you're scoring right mm-hmm. and uh, I can tell you there was an awful lot of uh, hurt in around that period of time because we hadn't we hadn't won. Um, we were trying to, you know, get our act together. It was very difficult. Um, uh, you just want to get back, and uh, the old uh, adage in, in in rugby of of you know the score isn't over until you've collected the ball from the kickoff and got back down the field again, you know, and it's all then about your concentration of the next thing. But I will tell you that the noise in Old Lansdowne Road, in particular, was just of such a level, such a cacophony of sound of a high and a low. Um, there was a kind of bu- a, a, a pulsing um, energy to, um, to to that stadium. I mean, it was it was fantastic. I met a couple of guys who told me afterwards that they climbed in over the fence and dug up that part of the ground and started their garden on that area where we scored. I don't know no. whether it was true or not, but it was a
2: good it was a good story. Probably I true at bit. that time. Yeah. What, what, yeah. Did, so when you take that Paul, that ball, as you say, when you're coming around the corner and it's hanging in the air and Neil back is lining himself up for you, uh, like he just, he didn't stand a chance. He sort of almost, because the force you were running at him, he almost had to, had no option but to roll you over the line. And I think might have been Wilkinson was sort of standing there as well. How quickly in that coming around the corner, ball suspended in the air, did you think I'm in?
0: You, I, <sighs> I never think I never thought it until you're over the line, and I used practice, uh, you know, carrying the ball at pace all the time. I would have always said it was a, the hand-eye coordination. I, I got that a bit from um, from hurling, definitely, and that's again the joy of a perfect pass, but also the idea to be able to catch it without having to slow down. That would have been a strength. Um, and I would have considered that the perfect point of contact and I would have practiced it always was to have with almost a stamp on their toe so that I'm in that powerful forward position mm-hmm. as opposed to further back and I can be knocked over. So my center of gravity needs to be pretty much over my hip, um, on the point of contact so that you can bounce off it or not. Um, but uh, Neil back was a foot behind where he needed to be and so after that he he couldn't stop me so then it was but that all happens in a, in a blur yeah. mm-hmm. you know there's not a huge amount of thought in that process
1: I think I'm right in saying as well it was a special day for you overall because you'd overtaken Ken Kennedy is the Ireland's most capped hooker that day, and I think Tom Kiernan and the, the captaincy record went as well. So a number of things for that for that uh, reason that day was special well, for him. I
0: never I never knew any of those. Um, I never thought about those at the time, and people would bring them up. But and so I may have known it at the time, but I never I actually never thought anything like that. I was interested when I I bumped into Ken Kennedy um later on that evening and he hit me a dig for <laughs> passing out his record which was quite entertaining. I couldn't hit him back. He was a much older man. But, um, <laughs> it wasn't that it <laughs> cross your mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too hard, you know. So
0: um so that was kind of entertaining after a fact. But no, you never really think of those things too much.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, um, really enjoyed that Keith so More, uh, fan,
0: more fans chat than 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 players mm. chat and it's nice after the fact but not when you're doing it at the time
1: yeah good to remember all these memories as well it's a, a really special episode and we'll, we'll have to get you back on Keith for sure for your uh, for your non-rugby picks as well if you're up for it
0: brilliant anytime lads
1: as always great stuff Keith thanks for minute that is the latest episode of you had to be there it's so unexpected it's one of those you had to be there moments. you had to be there it subsequently genuinely
0: did change everything about my life
2: you had to be there